Hello, film frosties. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. The Christmas section of Hollow Thanksmas keeps on trucking with Julia Black joining us to talk about the absolutely ridiculous Christmas with the Cranks. All right, Julia Black is here, an old theater friend of mine. We're talking about Christmas with the Cranks today. Uh, very interesting pick by you when I first approached you to want to do this podcast. You brought this up and said that it was an underrated Christmas movie, something I never thought anyone would say about this movie. Um, <laughs> the movie has garnered an interesting reputation over the years. So first of all, I want to ask, how are you? And what made you uh, want to choose this movie? It, it's interesting. I think the reason I... I looking back I'm like why did I call it underrated but I think the reason is it's always in like the group of Christmas movies that I always watch every year without a doubt like I always start with Elf and then I usually watch Christmas with the Cranks and then I watch like Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol and like the Peanuts Christmas classic you know like the old the old Grinch cartoon like I I have a certain (laughs) group of movies that I always watch (laughs) around this time of year and maybe another Christmas movie will find its way in there. But like this one is always on the list. And especially like when I went to school, when we do like holiday parties or something, we'd always end up watching this movie. (laughs) So like clearly it like speaks to something like the internal Christmas spirit in some people. (laughs) I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I, so I first saw it, when it came out, not in theaters, but I remember my grandparents went to go see it. Um, and uh, when they saw it in theaters, I remember they loved it. And finally, when it came out like on DVD, they got it. And I remember, and I just talked about this on the Elf podcast. That was also one of the few movies that I remember my grandparents had at their house. Mm-hmm. And so like around Christmas time, especially when I was younger, like in uh, like elementary school, fourth, fifth grade or something like that. I would spend a lot of time at their house after school before my brother and my parents came and got me. And that was one movie that I remember. I I do remember enjoying because I thought like, I thought some parts of it were funny. And I also pretty much liked any movie as a kid, like just (laughs) literally anything. And that was one I remember watching, you know, like skipping around. It had some random special features. My grandparents would watch it with me. Um, And then I didn't watch it again for, it just kind of fell out of the, the year, the seasonal run, you know, I didn't, it, it didn't stick as much as, as elf or, um, the Grinch or Christmas vacation did. It just, it kind of just left my mind. Uh, and then I for- completely forgot all about it. And then finally, uh, one of my, uh, a YouTuber named John Tron did a whole video about it. And I was like, Oh my God, I completely forgot about that movie. <laughs> and he had some very interesting, funny things, uh, to say about it. And I was like, Oh my God, there was so much about that movie that like just came rushing back. And and watching it, I rewatched it last night. It is a very strange movie. It's it so is weird. Very, it's I, and I I try to be as you know as forgiving as I possibly can with with movies. I don't want to be too negative, but like as I was watching it, there just the the thought that kept coming back into my mind. I was like, 
this is just stupid. Like it doesn't make any, like it doesn't make sense. It's so weird. Like the structure of it. And like you got Tim Allen and one of the weirdest Jamie Lee Curtis performances I've ever seen. We'll get to her later, but there's, you're right though, that there is something about it that it hits all the marks. It's got, you know, all the tropes, all the, the checklists of the classic Hollywood, uh, holiday movie tropes and yet it still feels weird watching it (laughs) it's it's such a very odd sensation like i the only part and we'll get to it is like at the end where i'm like okay this has like the hustle and the bustle and the help of the community and to get ready for the holidays but a lot of the rest of the movie is just a very weird family comedy I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so funny you bring up the, the list of things, because as I was, I took notes for this, because I was like, ah, oh, I'm watching Christmas with the Cranks for research purposes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's official, so I can't get in trouble. <laughs> right, so I, I was taking notes as I was rewatching, because I watch it every Christmas, like, I probably know this movie by heart, but I was like, no, I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to take notes, and like, see who wrote the score and all this stuff pick out any light motifs if I can yeah I'm so pretentious oh my god but um I started like taking notes of like what movie Christmas movie cliches it hits throughout the whole thing and there are so many it's like when you have you ever seen Cheaper by the Dozen Oh, absolutely. Like, that is the most 2000s movie to ever exist. It does all the 2000s things. And I feel like this movie does all the Christmas movie 2000 things. Like, it hits all of the boxes. (laughs) Um, And I think, like, it's curious because it came out a year after Elf. So I wonder if that was kind of a reaction to this, like... Because Elf became a Christmas classic, like, really, really fast when you think about it compared to, like, other movies we watch at Christmas time. Um, and so I wonder if like subconsciously the studio was like, we're going to make the next big Christmas classic. You know? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because we talked about that on the elf podcast that that movie, yeah, instantly it was an original story. It had a big bankable star and Will Ferrell um, and his kind of claim to fame as a leading man in Hollywood movies um, and was also a, several different movies that that meshed well together. Like we said, it was like there's like a little bit of a road trip aspect by getting to New York City. There's the father son dynamic. It's obviously it's a comedy and it's a holiday movie. Um, and all of those things together mix really well. Um, and this movie, I think at least I, they definitely had very good intentions in in making it. And I, I don't want to make it sound like that the movie is mean spirited or is necessarily negative. It's just very strange. And they had all the makings to make a modern Christmas classic. Like, you know, obviously the casting, Tim Allen. What do I need to say more? Right. Um, (laughs) And uh, a stacked cast all around. Um, You know, Tim Allen, Jamie Lee Curtis, Dan Aykroyd, um, Eric Persullivan, Cheech Marin is in it. Uh, um, Emmett Walsh is in it. Like a ton of people. Um, And and it's based off of a book. It's uh, based off of... Uh, John Grisham, Mr. Lawyer Writer himself, wrote a Christmas book, Skipping Christmas, and Chris Columbus, a famed filmmaker from Home Alone and Harry Potter, uh, uh, the first two Harry Potter films, and of course, the, the greatest movie ever made, uh, the 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 filmed version of Rent. I mean, it's just, a, it's, a, it's a perfect movie in every single aspect. Um, and so he decided to write the screenplay, but not direct it. It was directed um, by Joe Roth, a uh, 
who also um, directed such films as um, Revenge of the Nerds 2 and Freedom Land, the uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Julianne Moore film uh, from 2006. The movie had a budget of $60 million and uh, made $96.6 million um, at the box office. So a pretty fair return. Um, I, I think that these movies are kind of automatically setting themselves up for success because it's it's pretty inst- like you could kind of tell automatically that it's going to be at least somewhat of a feel good movie because it's a Christmas movie yeah. and it's also you know it's attempting to be a comedy. Um, but I think this movie is is interesting. This is kind of one of the last big budget. Like this was the last era for the big budget theatrical release Christmas movie. Because yeah. now I think they go straight to Netflix mm-hmm. um, or, you know, most of the the kind of trashy ones that people talk about are like the, the Hallmark movies or the Lifetime movies that they all, you know, do the same thing. And they have the schedule for all 30 days of Christmas or uh, all 30 days of December. Um, I think this one fits in a little bit more with uh with that era, the Hallmark and the Lifetime, because those movies never stuck with me. I never did the deep dive of the Hallmark movies or the, you know, the knowingly trashy Christmas movies. Yeah. Um, what, what is your relationship to those movies? It's so I grew up not having cable. So mm-hmm. the Hallmark channel channel was never a thing in my house. Um, and it was more like we had a certain sect of Christmas movies on DVD and VHS. And those were the ones we watched every single year. And then Netflix became a thing. And by that point, like just because I'm a human in society, I like learned the Hallmark movie cliches and like, you know, the, the small town woman meets the business guy and they fall in love and you, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I watched a couple of them on Netflix when they came out. And I was like, wow, this is, this is rough. <laughs> <laughs> like it's fun. Cause it just like injects like the Christmas right into your veins. <laughs> but mm-hmm. by the same token, you're like, I get like, there was one I watched where a woman fell in love with a ghost in a house she <laughs> rented for the Christmas season. I was like, what am I watching? <laughs> but um, You're right. Like that's the thing is, as, as as I watched this, I was like, it hits all the Hallmark beats, but it's not a Hallmark movie. <laughs> and it's so, cause everyone's wearing, like I'm literally wearing my homage to, to Christmas with the Cranks right now. Like I'm wearing like a very conservative, like sweater turtleneck. And it's like, it, I feel like those movies, you know, you've always got the, the girl who's like a 10 in Chicago, but maybe a seven in New York. That's like wearing a really <laughs> nice like, sweater. Her hair, she's wearing a headband. Like that's the, I, I was saying this to you earlier, like that meme that was going around, like something that isn't Republican, but feels Republican. Like that's how I feel about Christmas with the Cranks. <laughs> it's so good that you say that because there are so many movies specifically from this decade, from the like mid to early aughts that have that feel to them yeah. that are not explicitly right wing, but like you can tell, like if, like if someone from the right was like, I like this movie, I'd be like, yeah, I get, I, I, I get it. I, I know why. <laughs> like you watch this movie. And I mean, that's, I think Tim Allen being at the forefront of that is a, is a fair reason. Yeah. Um, it's because like, I mean, he himself is an outspoken conservative man and he, uh, a lot of his humor is very right wing, not like politically charged, but the way that the, his comedy is set up. 
I think it's because it's very outdated. I think that's why. Yeah. Um, it's and snowflakes, like you, you liberal children. <laughs> like that's just yeah. The energy I get. Yeah, smoking pot. Whoa, whoa, what are we talking about here? And like, so yeah, so a lot of he has some jokes in here that are just like, oh man, you're really trying, aren't you? Yeah. And like, so it, it, it's. It's just so outdated because he had his time. He had, you know, one of the most successful family sitcoms and home improvement uh, and was a very successful stand up comedian and obviously had a very um, well known film career in films like Toy Story um, and The Santa Claus, which is another Christmas right. classic. Um, but it's funny to now look back and, and especially in this world of be, of everything being as politically charged as it is. And this movie's I wouldn't say it's political. It just has a vibe to it. Yeah. So when you, when you look at it, you're just like, wow, we could get it. You could get away with so many, like that, that vibe of like very clearly more conservative and kind of, um, freely Republican without any kind of backlash. I think also this movie w is kind of made for old people. Like oh, it's absolutely. <laughs> so I think that has a lot to do with it too. Um, and, but like, I, I just think it's, it's very amusing to kind of see things like that are conservative, but aren't conservative. I mean, if you've never checked out the subreddit, the right can't meme, Highly recommend. It's incredible because <laughs> the right, they, they just, they, they don't got it. They just don't know what they're doing when it comes to memes. I love and that. it's fantastic. <laughs> um, I want, so I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about Christmas in general. Yeah. It's obviously a very popular holiday, particularly with, when you're, when you're younger. And we talked about this on the last episode is that our feelings on the holiday started to change as we grew older. And there are some people that I know that it stayed exactly the same. I want to know what your relationship to Christmas is and how holiday movies just as a whole, um, can are attached to your holiday spirit. It's, it's, it's so weird that we're having this conversation this year because I feel like this year is the year that it has changed for me because mm -hmm. I like I'm a party planner at heart. Like I love any excuse to like get all dolled up and like throw a party with people. I love it. And Christmas mm -hmm. is the perfect excuse to do that all the time. And I like I knew that at a very young age. I was like, ah, I get to wear my fancy dress to church today. You know, <laughs> it's just really like an excuse to have fun and dress up and eat good food. And like I've always loved to bake. It's perfect excuse to bake for people. Um, and it's interesting because like every Christmas before I like went to school. I would always, we'd always get the tree on the first day of Advent. You know, I'd watch Elf immediately after I decorated the house. Like I had all these like set traditions of like every, you know, the nutcrackers always go on the piano, blah, 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 blah. And then this year, like, I think everyone was just like, we need Christmas right now or we're going <laughs> to lose our minds. So like, you know, my, my tradition completely changed this year. Like I decorated the house the day after Thanksgiving, which is very unusual for me. You know, I was like, can we get a tree today? We couldn't get a tree that day. And then as soon as we could get one, it was up, you know, and I didn't watch Elf, which is so weird because I, it's always the first Christmas movie I watch. And my friend was in a Christmas movie earlier this year. So I watched her Christmas movie in kind of like a zoom party with her and then we were watching this. So this ended up being my first like legit Christmas movie of the year. <laughs> wow. What a way to kick it off. What a way to kick it off. And <laughs> looking back too, me and my roommate had a Christmas in May celebration because we were just, you know, 
so depressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this movie then too. And my friend Katie turned to me and was like, you know, Tim Allen is like the Tim Allen of Christmas movies. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Katie, I do. <laughs> I, 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 I guess you're right. Like, <laughs> I guess that adds up. He's the Tim Allen of Christmas movies. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like the, the thing that this movie captures is that I like the young traditionalist version of Christmas, which is like, you always, you always put up your frosty. You always put up your tree. You always have your party. Like the fucking frosty. (laughs) (laughs) So much to say about frosty as a character. (laughs) Frosty is like a metaphor in this. Like it's so weird. We'll get to it. Keep keep going. (laughs) I have a theory about Dan Aykroyd's character too. After watching (laughs) Um, Because this this movie very much justifies my internal fear of suburbia. (laughs) Because I grew up like out in the middle of nowhere. And I've only like lived in like apartment buildings or out in the middle of nowhere. No, no middle ground. And so I just have this like inherent fear of the suburbs. (laughs) Because I'm like, I feel like crazy stuff happens there. Like, I don't know. Like, (laughs) so many people in that neighborhood. I'm like, you're a sociopath. Like yeah, Dad it's a lot. It's like part Stepford Wives. It's so weird. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I think this movie kind of confirmed that fear for me. I was like, "Yep, this is why I'm never moving to a suburb. I don't want people in my business asking me to put up my frosting." <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I think it's. I, I think that it's interesting that, like you said, that we are doing this whole holiday series. Yes, this year because of something of a year that's kind of been just devoid of any, yeah, planning, anticipation, or any type of normalcy and cheer. It's weird to try and focus on it. Um, I think that, especially Christmas, because of how our culture is just obsessed with it. And Halloween, I think, is one that just automatically kind of comes and goes, but in a good way. It's one that it really it's like a whole month thing. But because of the vibe of autumn, it is almost inescapable. Um, And and like no one's really shoving it down your throat that there's a war on Halloween. You know, like that doesn't (laughs) that doesn't really happen. Um, And Thanksgiving is one that's just like, oh, it's here. okay, Uh, (laughs) And but. You know, Christmas, I think, especially this year is one that people are going to are like, we're going to have Christmas. It's going to be normal and you're going to fucking like it. You know, yeah. like I think there's there's it's so forceful in trying to make it happen. And I can't blame anybody because they want they obviously want to try and have the ending of the year be like, we've made it through. Let's try and have some normalcy with our family and enjoy Christmas. And that's. I think is a great mindset to have. Um, you know, Christmas for me was always my favorite holiday as a kid. I've since switched over to Halloween. Um, I think that, you know, Christmas sometimes it gets, it, I feel like as you get older, you get a little bit more anxious about it. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot leading up to it. There are aspects of it that I like. Like we just decorated our house. Um, we did it. We always do it the weekend after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always fun. Uh, I always love baking Christmas cookies. Like, you know, that's a great time. Um, but like, you know, just for family reasons, it's obviously like the number of people that we have has gotten smaller over the years. Uh, and so it's like, but once the holiday comes by, it's like, oh, this feels a lot different. But it's like, I still enjoy it. Um, and holiday movies, uh, you know, we 
the whole series basically has been leading up to this because all Christmas movies take place around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And the time of year is just so easy to capture, um, especially in this movie because it takes place in Chicago. Yeah. It snows all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I guess the movie takes place in about a month. It's like the weekend yeah. or the week after Thanksgiving up until Christmas. Yeah. You could have told me this movie takes place in the span of a week and it, I would have believed you. It. The timeline, it's funny you bring that up because the timeline of this movie was always so puzzling to me as a kid. Like, I just assumed that Blair was coming because she would say at the beginning, like, I'll, I'll be home for next Christmas. And so for some reason, as a kid, I thought that when she was coming home, it had been a year later, like that uh. the whole scene had happened like the year before. I don't know why my kid brain thought that, but watching it again, you know, as an adult, I'm like, so this whole thing takes place over four weeks. Like she went to the Peace Corps for like a week and a half and was like, oh, I'm going to get engaged and come home for Christmas. Like the timeline doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of questions about her uh, decisions that we'll get into. Yeah. In a little bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Christmas is like one of the only t- like is kind of one of the only times a year that has very specific um, holiday centric media attributed to it. Music and movies. It has the big two. You know, Halloween has movies, but it's more so the genre of horror movies as opposed to Halloween specific movies. Yeah. Um, and there's not really a lot of music attributed to it other than like spooky, scary skeletons. <laughs> like that's that's pretty much it. Um, but the whole vibe and atmosphere of Christmas in and of itself is so strong. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's always I, I I've never seen a subtle Christmas movie. It's so overwhelming, you know. <laughs> like, especially in this movie, especially in the soundtrack. Oh my god! Like oh. some of the soundtrack choices it, are just insane to me. Um, and but like also the music is so easily recognizable. And even though, like, do you ever get tired of Christmas music? Do you ever get like tired of any Christmas movie just because like? it's something that is so easily easy to regurgitate and uh, just comes back like every year earlier and earlier. Yeah. I, I used to be the type of person who would never get sick of Christmas music. And this year I'm working at a restaurant and Christmas music is going for my entire shift. So I, I no longer like Christmas music as much as I did. Um, That's fair. It's so easy. It's to get stuck in your head. Yes. Yes. And then especially with certain radio stations, like you'll hear blue Christmas at least 17 times, at least. And I think I've found a new hatred for like children's choirs built into pop songs. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, I don't know who was like, this is going to really lift the spirits of America. <laughs> I'm just going to put in a children's choir. I am in in general very much against just pop uh, artists doing Christmas albums. Just a blanket statement. I know everyone loves the Michael Buble Christmas album. I don't necessarily have anything against it. I just have always thought it's very weird when you hear people who have very good voices and very pop-centric voices singing classic Christmas carols. The worst example of this is the Pentatonix Christmas album. Pentatonix are a very talented, incredible group, but I cringe at their Christmas album. It's so (laughs) strange, and it's just like, oh, it's like they're riffing during, like, uh, you know, Winter Wonderland. It's so weird, and I... 
Like, just give me Andy Williams. All right, give me Andy Williams right. and give me uh and give me Mannheim Steamroller. That's all I ask. <laughs> and Vince Gar- and Vince Garaldi. Like that's all. And anything other than that, we- we'll have to have a discussion about. You know. Right. Like, I think the only one in my brain who can get away with it is Harry Connick Jr. Because like, oh uh, yeah, mm-hmm. be a crooner and he sticks with it. He doesn't try to like flavor it any particular way he's like i'm i'm a i'm gonna pull out my saxophone and play you a christmas <laughs> tune you know <laughs> and and mariah carey got away with it with one song one song like she didn't have and also it was an original song so she could at least like kind of morph it any way that she wanted but if mariah carey like it I, I haven't listened to any other Mariah Carey Christmas songs other than that one. Um, but if she did, I don't know, if she did like Little Drummer Boy, I bet <laughs> it would be very off-putting. <laughs> you know? like Absolutely. It just doesn't mesh. It doesn't mesh well at all. Well, because uh, of that whole, it's it's interesting, because film scores are like the thing that I geek out about like every single time. <laughs> and it's so funny that you bring up like, rock covers of classic Christmas songs because that was such a 2000s thing like I was watching Easy A the other day and they did like a rock cover of Don't You Forget About Me and I was like stop this (laughs) (laughs) no one asked for it just use the original (laughs) yeah that is that is a trope that held over from a lot of 90s a lot of 90s comedies and and it I think Easy A stopped it like yeah. I didn't see many movies after, and I love Easy A, but it 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 that is the last because that came out in 2010, so that was kind of the last like kind of uh, gesture towards that trope. But like, there's a the cover of Frosty the Snowman in here sounds like a Letters to Cleo song, yes, like from from the Ten Things I Hate About You soundtrack. And I'm like, what are like? It's like Frosty the Snowman. I was like, oh my god, I can't bang my head to this. I'm like, I can't. There's only one song that I feel is used like really, really well, and that's when the the cop car is coming in and spikes on the bike and it's like christmas the snow yeah. i'm like yes that is a perfect use of your pop song in a christmas movie because you're, you're capturing the spirit right there <laughs> yeah yeah i agree because that and that's also kind of uh that one that version has become a staple too like yeah. i'm so used to hearing that version of that song what's the other what's the other like punk rock one that they do oh, they during do. like when i think it's like is it oh i'm dreaming of a yes. white christmas i'm like, like oh my god it, like with the christmas cookies i'm like oh my gosh yeah i'm getting cancer just listening to it um <laughs> uh all right i think we should just go right in because we obviously have a lot to say about this movie Do you want to just start with the critical breakdown sure Do we want to start with like the Christmas movie staples that this this film encapsulates? Yes, let's. I, th- I I'm very curious to see what you have written on your list. Please, the let's list do it. Kept getting longer. Um, because I started I started taking notes at the mall scene, and so everything that's added <laughs> oh, no. is after the mall scene. So we have mall scene slash capitalism, <laughs> a staple Classic. of the Christmas genre. Of course. Um, a mysterious character who t- turns out to be Santa Claus. Yeah. Okay. Stop there. <laughs> what, what is it? What is it about every like 
lower budget, like especially Hallmark Christmas movies where someone has to turn out to be Santa. Like, does Santa have a deal with these film distribution companies? <laughs> like, I, I gotta I gotta be a character if you're gonna use any Christmas stuff. And they're like, Well, I mean, we gotta I mean it's in the contract. We we gotta do it. Right. And, and it's always the same type of man, too. Like it's never like the big heavy set jolly guy. Like it's always a skinny man named Arnold yeah. or something. <laughs> like the guy in this one, especially, I, I adore this man. Is I looked him up, his name is Austin Pendleton. And the reason I love <laughs> of course him it is. is because he was in the movie What's Up Doc, which came out oh like, a long time, like baby Barbara Streisand. And I love that movie so much. And he plays like this this professor in it. And I remember like watching Christmas with the Craigs for the first time and being like, that's Professor Larrabee. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was so overwhelmed by how, like this guy's so funny. He's so, mm-hmm. I, I think like he, you know, there are a lot of versions where I'm not sold on the character being Santa Claus, but I think the delivery of this guy is just so precious. Yeah. Well, it's just like, oh, I recognize you. And every, uh, but like, I don't really know who you are. Oh, it must be Santa Claus. <laughs> like, Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> his name's Marty. <laughs> yeah. I like, my favorite is when he says hi to the priest and he's like, hello, Father Braginski or whatever. And yeah. just like, who is this guy? <laughs> I don't know who he is. He brings ham. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. He, so- his character, just the fact that he comes back. The only reason, well, actually, keep going with your list. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll keep going with your list. Back to Marty. <laughs> we'll, we'll circle back to Marty, a pivotal character. So we have mysterious character turns into Santa Claus, the suburbs. Oh, right and then I wrote so many sweaters in caps, <laughs> and I added that. I added to that vests and matching pajama sets. <laughs> Specifically, the scene where Jamie Lee Curtis is in her matching like pajama set reading chicken soup for the mother's soul like that right yes. there. <laughs> and then it's quote unquote someone's last christmas oh one sick someone God, died i hate i hate that subplot so much <laughs> children in plaid everyone's in fucking plaid in this movie that whole the whole <laughs> Frohmeyer clan is always in plaid <laughs> always in plaid his wife wore a different plaid sweater and, and a mismatching plaid pant. And I was like, what are you doing woman? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I don't have any speaking lines in this movie. I'll do whatever the fuck I I'll want. Whatever I want. <laughs> and someone gets engaged. Of course. Right. Uh, Tim Allen. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Of course. And then when it started snowing, my favorite shot in the whole film, because it's Chicago, it takes place in Chicago. And they have a shot where Dan Aykroyd, like it starts to snow and Dan Aykroyd looks at the snow and he's just so overwhelmed by it. I'm like, you live in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it's nothing like a white Christmas. Like dog, it hasn't snowed for one week and you're getting nostalgic. Like what? (laughs) And then someone says it's going to be a white Christmas and then it plays white Christmas immediately after. Um, Mm -hmm. Rock covers of Christmas standards, of course. There's a precocious kid character who is friends with the higher ups. <laughs> and it's Dewey from Malcolm in the Middle. I, I love that kid. I love that kid. He's my favorite me too. In the movie. I don't even like it's really difficult for me to watch child actors sometimes. And I forget about it when I'm watching this kid. Yeah. 
No, he's great. He's always been great. He's awesome in Malcolm in the Middle. He's so funny. Delightful. And then Starbucks product placement. Yeah, that cop is just holding it in the car, isn't he? He's holding it in the most unnatural way, too. His arm is, like, way up here. He's mm-hmm. like, what did you say, Cheech? Yeah. <laughs> here, let me, get cl- let, me, let me get closer to my cup so I can hear you better. <laughs> <laughs> and then singing at a Christmas party. Like, everyone breaks uh, the song, of course. Right. And then last but not least, the song Blue Christmas is used to represent sadness. <laughs> Uh, very much so very much so oh my god yeah there are so many that i i didn't even think of um the plaid is a big one like that was one where i was just like why is everyone in plaid like and it makes uh, now that you think about it you're like wow there i guess plaid is the pattern of christmas i I guess you don't see a lot of paisleys around the holidays (laughs) it's so odd because like christmas like a lot of christmas traditions are german but like Plaid is a is a Scotsman thing. Like, why why are you yeah. taking that away from us? <laughs> um, give it back, damn it! Give it back. We have this in Haggis. Let us have this. <laughs> We're we still have a lot of baggage from bagpipes, so we got to build up. You know. Yeah. Um. Uh. But it's so funny because again, with all of those tropes and the the setup. It, it's it is clearly trying to be somewhat of a you know Christmas classic and acknowledges the importance of Christmas and that's the whole. But it also like tonally the movie doesn't really work. It doesn't really make a lot of sense because like it starts the first like ten minutes of this movie are so sad. Like yeah. they are trying to be so depressing. Like it literally just starts with Jamie Lee Curtis and Tim Allen just sitting in bed together <laughs> silently and they're like, oh, well, we should probably get moving. <laughs> it's gonna be a big day. No, and then they just and go then, like, and take the her to the airport. Song in the background, like I wish that it could snow. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so the whole 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 story is just a brief overview of the plot. After their daughter Blair sp- is going to spend a year in the Peace Corps, um, Luther Crank, played by Tim Allen, decides that um, instead of spending. Uh, $6,100 on Christmas, which they spent the last year. Um, he's going to spend it and save money uh, on a cruise and ditch the whole holiday season uh, in general. And his wife, uh, Nora Crank, played by the great uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who I love. Before I say anything about her performance in here, I just need to make it very clear that I love Jamie Lee Curtis with like Jamie all my heart. So- One of my all-time favorite actresses. We did a Halloween pa- podcast. She's incredible in that. I actually just watched for the first time Trading Places. She's really good in that too. Um, and obviously, you know, her and Knives Out is just oh, like peak. Knives Out. It's yes. Amazing. Um, but their performances in this movie, like I think Tim Allen is playing very much towards his type. Yeah. Like he's just kind of Tim Allen all over the place he's in this playing movie. Tim Allen again. <laughs> right. Um, but Jamie Lee Curtis is like crazy in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I really identify with her. Like if I have a husband like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she does more screaming in this movie than she does in Halloween. Like I was baffled. That whole grocery store sequence at the end is lunacy. Is absolute lunacy. I have a funny story about that actually, because I my first year of taking unarmed combat in college, I did the hickory ham scene with a friend of mine. 
as our <laughs> unarmed combat final scene. <laughs> A lot of great combat in there. Good shopping cart uh, acting in this movie. <laughs> At one point it ended because, you know, you just take the dialogue and put it on whatever action you're using. And so it ended with her like beating me up with the ham. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Happy holidays. Bam. Oh my God. Uh, I wish that happened. It would have been a way, <laughs> would have been a better movie. Um, <laughs> So they're obviously like very upset about their daughter going away and they have to hammer that in throughout most of like the beginning of this movie. Like in the, it's, it's one thing if they just say it like, okay, they're driving away from the airport. Jamie Lee Curtis is obviously like very sad. She's looking at pictures on her digital fucking, you know, brick size camera. (laughs) And she's, yeah. She's like, things won't be the same. What? Christmas. And (laughs) she's, and like that's it that's all they had to do like that's fine like they could have just like left it there and obviously it's very fresh so it's upsetting but then they do it again in the next (laughs) in the next scene when they're having dinner which i assume is the same night um (laughs) or no it'd be the next night because he does the all the calculation at work the next day yeah um but she's looking at the salt and pepper shakers nostalgically (laughs) uh it's just uh the the I get so nostalgic the Monday after Thanksgiving. <laughs> um yeah, and she's like, you know, for the first time in 23 years, Blair won't be here. Like it's just not going to be the same. It's like, tell me more, Mama Crank. All right, just keep keep pounding it in, all right? <laughs> so tell me, did your daughter leave? Is that what you're trying to tell me is that she left? Yeah. <laughs> did she do the exact thing that we saw her do in the beginning of the movie at the airport? <laughs> I need more confirmation, please. So she's your daughter, and she's oh. in the Peace Corps. Okay, and she's not going to be here for Christmas. Cool, awesome. And Peru is not in Chicago. Oh, okay, got it, got it, got it, okay. Um. I also love how they just refer to Peru as the jungle. Like, they, they're like, oh, she's yeah. out there in the jungle. And it's like, she's not, in Peru, calm down. Not, not, yeah, not, that's not very good. Like, that's... <laughs> There's a scene later on before she calls home when they're changing and getting ready for the cruise. And she, at, first of all, very weird question by Jamie Lee Curtis. She's like, do you think Blair is thinking about Christmas? Like, I, I, may, I, I guess, I don't know. And Tim Allen's like, well, he, she's in the, she's in the jungle with a bunch of people that worship trees and leaves and rain. It's like, that that's the one of the right jokes. Like that's the oh, that's yeah. where the right wing humor that comes in. When he's talking about her fiance, and she's like, "Yeah, Enrique, he's Peruvian," and he goes, "Oh yeah, Enrique," and then covers the phone and goes, "A communist." I'm like, "Oh my god, Tim Allen!" I lost my mind when that came up because I completely forgot about it, and I was like, "What? <laughs> Are you kidding me?" <laughs> it's this movie's like weirdly relevant right now. It's just like remember America, remember. <laughs> and it's also so weird to see Jamie Lee Curtis being like, and it's good that she's like, "Stop it, stop it, Luther!" Like you know, because yeah. you don't attribute her to any of that kind of right wing humor, right? Because <laughs> she's such an activist. Like she does so much activism in her professional life. Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah. gosh, I love it's, Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> yeah, she's wonderful. She's. I was thinking like she's kind of like America's mom in a lot of ways. Yeah, and everyone says, and I'm like, how is it in, in the last ten years? How have her and Tom Hanks never done a movie where they're playing parents? Right. Like, wouldn't that isn't that just like a recipe for success? It. I feel like it would be. I think you know, whenever you want a really good Christmas mom, especially. 
you get Jamie Lee Curtis or Mary Steenburgen. And like clearly half yes. the season was like, we know what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get Mary Steenburgen. I adore her. I love her. Everything she's yeah. done, I love her. <laughs> um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about that uh, that dinner scene where the idea comes up about the cruise. There's a lot going on in that There's scene. So much going on. Stuff I didn't understand as a kid, but I do now. No. Oh yeah, I was not. It, Jamie Lee Curtis is thirsty in that scene. She is. <laughs> She's oh my! Her Christmas vest. <laughs> she's down in wine when he leaves the room. Like, and in the John Tron video, he's like, "I never thought that I would ever see Jamie Lee Curtis that sexually attractive to Tim Allen." Like, and it's true. She's like, she's ready. She's like, throw the pasta on the ground. Get on the table. You know, <laughs> like she's just party. ready. <laughs> <laughs> I, my favorite is the like. It's not even Saturday night. I'm like, oh wow. Oh. <laughs> Ah uh, yes, there's nothing like <laughs> sprucing up your marriage by scheduled sex. <laughs> it's fantastic. Darling, uh, it's not even Saturday night. <laughs> Whatever will we do? I love it's how been three years. Roll between the two of them too, because she says it first, and then he later confirms. But it's not even Saturday night. I'm like, so you two have talked about this? Yes. <laughs> like you put it in your calendars. Like oh. Make sure I have sex with my wife on Saturday. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh Don't God. forget. Yeah, it's so. But yeah, so he has this idea. And like uh, the, the whole thing with this movie is that like. So they have this idea to skip out on Christmas in a, a complete and total boycott, as Luther says. Um, and then the whole town and everyone starts to kind of act against him. The, the thing is, first of all, that's like the first that's like the first half of the movie and they you know really want to hammer it in that the whole town is not interested in their idea and as the viewer you're like well that's not that's not so bad i I also don't even think that's the intention like part of me thinks that they went into this movie with the intention of like this is this is a bad idea and they shouldn't do it because like as the viewer me i'm like oh okay you're saving money you want to go on a cruise it's just the two of you you know why not yeah but then tim but then tim allen makes it a complete and total boycott when they have, you know, $3,000 left over and he's scrimping on things like the church donations and the the calendar and, you know, like all of that. And it's like, I mean, just, you know, spare a a little bit, you know, make it at least a little inconspicuous. You don't have to type up a memo and give it to all your office workers so they're going to fucking hate you for the next month. Right, that's an asshole move. (laughs) Like, the line where his secretary was like, oh, Walmart just called. They said, I'm going to have to buy my own cheap perfume this year. I was like, yes, queen, you tell him. <laughs> that was a joke I didn't get as a kid. But when I saw it last night, I was like, all right, that, that's a good dig. That's uh, that's good. <laughs> I think my favorite joke in like the I'm thinking of the office scenes. My favorite joke, I don't think was even scripted when he's talking on the phone with Jamie Lee Curtis and he drops the phone and it falls into his pocket. I don't think they <laughs> planned that. And it's the funniest part of the movie for me. <laughs> yeah, well, because the, the thing is, the entire conversation, he's holding the phone. And then in that one shot, for whatever reason, he then puts it in between his shoulder and his ear. So my thinking was it either was script, it wasn't scripted, like he just did it yeah but because of the editing it makes me think that they're just like all right i got an idea we need, 
<laughs> we need just a little bit more humor, all right? And no one could think of anything. But then Tim Allen probably just dropped it in his pocket. And he was like, hey, guys, it fell in my pocket. And they were like, that's it. That's brilliant. <laughs> we're keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so like the whole that's but that's the only the first part of of the movie right but they try and it's so weird the pacing of this movie doesn't really make sense because they have to stretch it out a lot particularly that first that first half because then the second half they're you know running around and doing all that shit to get ready for the party but like the the first half it's like all right we're gonna make this decision all right we're gonna do it Nora's gonna be on and off about whether it's a dumb idea or a great idea but regardless of that they're like all right Let's do it. And then they have to get the whole town against them. So he doesn't buy the calendar. He doesn't buy the tree. He doesn't, you know, do they don't get the invitations. And that one, you know, dude from the greeting card company is telling everyone at that fucking restaurant. And Felicity Huffman's like, oh, my daughter's going to USC next year. What's up with you? And and then the whole town's against her. Um, But like the the whole thing is like they're they really try and stretch it out. Like some like. The whole scene before that, when he goes to like the store to um oh from chips or something to get white chocolate chocolate pistachio nuts, they really like you know I didn't bring the umbrella. Well, I need that stuff. I didn't bring the umbrella. Well, I still need it. Okay. Oh, you forgot the white chocolate. It's like dog. You had to get two things. Like why is this taking so long? Right. I, I also love that one of the first like Tim Allen-y lines in this is I couldn't get any wetter. Of course. And is that supposed to be like his whole motivation for it? Like he's so annoyed by the weather and everything that's happening to him that when he sees that idea, he's like, yeah, fuck this. I'm like getting out of here. <laughs> It's, suppo- it's weird because the conflict of this movie changes at least three times, maybe. Four, yes. Because the first conflict is like, oh, we're going to be all alone without our daughter. How sad. Then he solves that conflict by being like, well, we're not. We're going to go on a cruise. And then the next conflict is like the town is so mad at them about it. And then there's like this added conflict of like, put your frosty up on the roof. Uh. <laughs> and it's like how did this become the conflict of our movie and then like the final conflict which is the strongest is like okay we don't have anything set up and our daughter's coming home for the holidays like that's the one where i'm like okay good job movie <laughs> yeah you did it you came up with a compelling conflict good yes <laughs> yeah that's like the best part of the movie i guess and like but the whole first half they're just trying to also they, they have to sneak the comedy in they got it so they're like right. okay let's get let's get the whole town against uh against them or the whole neighborhood right so like they're you know and the whole like when dan Aykroyd shows up and he does this cool like yeah i'm dan Aykroyd and i'm in this movie what are you gonna do about it like right, turn towards the camera Buster's reference before he appears on screen and i'm like wow you knew what you were doing movie <laughs> Oh, they sure did. Um, And so, but yeah, then they get the whole Frosty thing and they like corner Nora in her house. (laughs) And she's like very clearly scared. And she's like, she's like, oh, they're going to come back and like runs into the bed. And (laughs) this is the other thing is like the movie, that whole section it tries to set the movie or set that scene as it's a legitimate suspenseful scene. And I don't know why, because it's like, 
she's trying to drive out, but then everyone's like, look, she's getting away. And they like got to run after her. And then boom, jump scare. Dan Aykroyd's on the window and just like, stop the car. You know, we just want Frost to be like, come on. (laughs) You know that he definitely has a dead body in his basement. There is no way he does not. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think that everyone in the town probably like the whole town's a cult. Yeah. Like, the, it's it, side because yes here to play <laughs> yeah and somehow good on the movie for being somewhat progressive because the black couple are the only two sensical ones in the movie because yeah. they're like we're getting out of here you guys do whatever you want that's fine <laughs> like i love how they don't get mad at that family either like they get mad at luther and nora for not going or n- not being there for christmas but then the other family's like, oh, we got to go to the in-laws. They're like, bye. Have a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe the town's racist, too. I they mean, just want... <laughs> would not surprise me based on everything else in the movie. <laughs> no. But then, yeah, so it's like she's like very like She's doing this face when she's driving. She's like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's supposed to be, again, like it's a legitimate jump scare when Dan Aykroyd goes to the. Yeah. It's like, isn't this supposed to be. Isn't this a comedy like am i supposed to be laughing at this it like i don't so get- easily be a horror movie like if someone re-edited christmas with the cranks it could it could just be like this couple finds out that they're living in a town that's actually a christmas cult and yeah they're gonna get murdered if they don't put frosty up on the roof like you could so easily oh my gosh yeah <laughs> so, and then i and then that leads to the mall scene where they get their their tan on uh this is one of the weirdest movie scenes i've ever seen in my entire life i don't only curtis for being like i am gonna i'm gonna put my unedited body on screen and like i i just because think about how we never see we never see a woman above 30 in a bikini on screen like it just doesn't happen so yay, Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis. Like that's the most feminist thing this movie did <laughs> being like, we're going to show a whole shot <laughs> of a woman over her, thir- like over 30 in a bikini. Wow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but then they make yes. it into a joke and it's like, that's what, that's what I was about to say. She's just like, Oh God, this should be outlawed. And it's, and it's like, like you don't, you don't so look bad. bad. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> you look fine. Jamie, love and, yourself. Yeah. And then I, I gotta say that Daisy, whoever's working behind the counter, <laughs> she like is, and I never noticed this as a kid. She's very, she loves Tim Allen. Like is very nice to him. And I guess it, you know, has met him before. Yeah. Cause she's at the Christmas party later at, at the end. She's there. Um, <laughs> and, and then, but is so rude to Nora. Is so rude so, to Jamie. <laughs> yeah. She's so rude. Like that just makes me think that she is like really in it for Tim Allen and she wants that Christmas sugar daddy and he is top tier, yeah. you know, like he came out in that speedo and she was like, okay, okay, Santa Claus. Yeah. All I want for she's Christmas like, is you. <laughs> she's like, I, I was supposed to be looking for something, but I don't, I don't, I don't remember anymore. She's so mad. Oh, there's a priest in my eye. Like Nora's out in the mall bleeding. The, mm. Like there's a crowd gathering and she's like, I'm trying to find a bandaid. <laughs> God, make up your mind. <laughs> and it's like, your customer's and- bleeding. Like you can get sued. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> think about your and- Daisy. Think about your choices. <laughs> yeah. God damn it, Daisy. 
Oh, doesn't doesn't Tim Allen say don't mention her eyes? Like, yes. <laughs> My favorite though is the tan line, like right on her, like a straight tan line on her cleavage, but she's wearing like a V-neck shirt. <laughs> you just see, <laughs> it's incredible. But that's the that's another thing. Like it's very clearly like a Joker a dig towards like the younger generation at that yeah. point, you know, the like 20 year olds, the tanning bed scene, like that's very clearly like, look at these fucking weirdos, right? right. Like, <laughs> Making fun of people for getting tan. Yeah. What's Father Zabriskie doing at a fucking tanning salon right. also? But Father Zabriskie's also a little bit of a perv. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> they just kind of let it go. They're like, yeah, you can still come to our Christmas party, even though you're kind of a perv. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh. And then that makes the front page. Slow news week in fucking Chicago. <laughs> I love the fact that the like they made the front page twice in one movie in Chicago. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> yeah, literally the first was the skipping Christmas thing. Right. And then it was that. And <laughs> I don't I can't believe it. And then, you know, that's where the whole, then the whole cancer subplot comes in. Right. Why? The, neighbor, the neighbor's <laughs> most definitely a sociopath. Like, he go, when when he's talking to Luther, he's like, oh, we're still working for the man, old man. And then Nora comes up and she's like, oh, Walt, I'm so sorry. And he's like, oh, yeah, she's in the house. She's baking cookies. Yeah. I'm like, you're a monster. <laughs> yeah. And Bev's yeah. an angel. Bev's adorable. We love her. Oh yeah, yeah. I she does something pretty funny later on, but like she, but all they had to do, they actually kind of set that up in a somewhat effective or like okay manner to where it was like when they first meet, she's you know Tim Allen asks her, "How you feeling today, Bev?" And he's, she's like, "Oh, I've had my good days and bad days. Today's a good day." Yeah, it's like happy to hear that. It's all you need. Like I got all the information. Yeah, it's like, oh, she. I assume. Okay. Yeah, I assume she has something. You know, she's slowing down a little bit. It's important that they have their time together. I get it. I don't need whoever the fuck coming in to feed the homeless in tears and confiding in Jamie Lee Curtis and Felicity Huffman and saying that the cancer's back. I assumed that the cancer was back. Right. All right, like I, <laughs> I don't need a confirmation. They never explain how that woman knows Bev and Walt. Like Bev and Walt mentioned having a son at the end. They're like, oh, maybe Benny will come home for Christmas, and we're all over here like, who's Benny? Oh my god! Yes, that was the thing. I thought it was so funny. What? Because that's supposed to be a very serious moment. You know, she's like, "Oh, maybe Benny will stop by," and then just out of nowhere, he's like, "Knock it off, Bev. Benny hasn't been home in you know ten years." And, and Tim Allen's just like trying to like sell them. Like she could have said, like literally, it could have been literally anything. Could have been like, "Oh, maybe Benny will stop by." Like, "Oh, don't you forget, Bev? Benny died in Nam. That must mean your Alzheimer's is setting in." And then you know, Tim Allen's like, "Look, I just." can you just take the tickets please you can have this discussion when i leave like <laughs> oh my god it kills me and i'm uh, their their friend group doesn't make any any sense to me in general because like you know you've got the felicity huffman crew that are like the the mean girls at the lunch table but they're kind of nice but they're they're mostly mean and then mm -hmm. they basically say that they're not coming to the party but don't they end up being at the party or is it just the neighbors like their friend group I, yeah i don't know because they said that when jamie lee curtis comes home from the supermarket she says i called all her friends they're all busy so we'll just have to invite the neighbors now i didn't 
I, I was now granted I wasn't looking too hard, <laughs> but I I did not see Felicity Huffman and uh, the other woman there at the party. Yeah. I did, however, see the leader of the Carolers, who's having a bang up time yeah, at that party. Her outfit. Yeah. And there were several firemen in uniform. So, like, were they on duty? <laughs> yeah. They like yeah, several firemen are helping them set up Christmas lights. Like <laughs> what? How did they get like I understand the police like th- they've been established that like they know the police, they bought the calendars from them. You know, they're going to go pick up Blair. We know that they're friends with the police, but the, the firemen, they just showed up when Luther like almost broke his leg falling off the the house, which he should have broken his leg from that fall. Yes. He would not be standing after that. Mm-mm. <sighs> gotta get this gotta get the slapstick in there though exactly you gotta have a um, tim allen moment where tim allen does a thing and then gets mad at everybody else because he did a thing that was his fault <laughs> yeah let's talk about i i think what is considered at least in my mind as i was watching it the most ridiculous section of this movie and it's from when the carolers go to their house <laughs> to luther icing his walkway to him getting botox like the whole like that's like a 15 minute stretch of just like insanity like i don't really okay the carolers going to their house i get like it's a christmas staple um you know you always see carolers like up and down in suburban areas they're trying to do a nice thing and but then like they're diving over their furniture to hide from <laughs> from from the carolers and then I will say the laugh that I always get personally, you know, just everyone is joining in just to like hate sing at this family, just trying to have dinner. Um, And then it dies down for a second and the camera pans down to Nora trying to find like some yarn or something (laughs) that pans back up and they're just like frosty, (laughs) the snowman (laughs) in the window. (laughs) My favorite part is when it, it pans over to Walt and Fro Meyer who are singing together and they're going Bum, 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 bum. And I'm like, why are you singing? You're not even singing a harmony. You're just singing the melody on bum, bum. <laughs> yeah. Bum, bum. To give them a little, to give them the benefit of the doubt, during the last song in Jingle Bells, when it starts to pick up, you can tell Dan Aykroyd's starting to get out of breath a little bit. Like he's really pushing, you know, to get those, you know, to get it out there. Dan Aykroyd worked so hard for this movie. Like he is giving 150%, 100% of the time. Like, yeah, he re- he really is. I and I give him a lot of credit. I've always loved Dan Aykroyd. You know, Ghostbusters is one of my all-time favorites and uh favorite comedies and he he just has great timing and he has such a positive energy about him like even in this movie where he's technically playing in some way a villain, I guess, but like he yeah, he is very much like he could have easily phoned it in. It could have been uh you know, really anybody just been like, oh, okay, a fucking Christmas movie, whatever. But he like really tries to get into being like, I'm the leader of this neighborhood and what I say goes. And he's, you know, like the, what's the, what, Jamie Lee Curtis says like the un, the unelected like um, mob boss of the street yeah. or something like that. <laughs> and it's like so true. And he like very clearly is trying to like emulate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sells it. I mean, I've always uh, really in anything. If Dan Aykroyd's in it, like I'm at least going to find him likable. Yeah. You know, I will. Um, I enjoy, you know, most of his performances and just him as a person. I've always enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but 
again, just the movie surrounding him is just so strange. And but he is giving a lot. Yeah. So, like he even has the Midwestern accent. Like he he put in so much work. Mm-hmm. You know, plays the um, harmonic or harmonica at the end, and it's yeah, the accordion. You know, yeah, that's what, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Like, um, yeah, he's... I don't know instruments. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then so that leads into the weirdest. Like they go to the basement, and Frosty has this evil smile on his face, <laughs> like. What what is this? And the music is li- it's supposed to be creepy. Like it builds up and it's like bum bum bum. Like Frosty's gonna fucking kill you. You better watch out. Like you better watch out. You better not cry. Frosty's gonna murder you. It's weird because this this movie doesn't understand the line between realism and fantasy. Like it 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 spends at least like eighty percent of the movie being like we're just small town folks in in the suburbs of Chicago. Everything's so normal. It's just a normal... And then Frosty's like a demon. (laughs) Yeah. Santa Claus is also there. And it's like... And and then at the end, one of the Frosties actually like gets animated and like waves goodbye to you. And I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) You had to establish early on that there is magic in this universe or I'm not gonna buy it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just don't... And this is a big problem with that I've had with really most of what Chris Columbus has done. Um, he's he's not good in, especially in this movie. Of like, it, I wish if if it was more self aware and tongue in cheek and like very clearly like this is supposed to be a comedy and this is you know very clearly making fun of itself. Yeah. That would be one thing. But and maybe they were going for that. But the fact that there's so many like beats of like a thriller in the first like 30 minutes like it doesn't it feels like those were very distinct choices that just don't work and i don't like and chris columbus is not very good like if he's when he does those first two harry potter movies and the first two home alone movies those movies are very straightforward and you know what you're getting into like very established like this is childhood wonderment this is a fantasy this is you know more lighthearted. Um, obviously the first two Harry Potter movies have some darker stuff, but those are the most lighthearted ones of the series. Um, but then, you know, when he does rent, he, it's like, you know, it, it, nothing works in that movie. That movie sucks. I hate that movie. I wanted, I wanted so bad to do, we just, before this series, we did a musical series of like. Uh, film adaptations of Broadway musicals. I wanted to do that movie so bad because I have so much to say about it and nobody wanted to do it. Oh, I, <laughs> I, would, I could talk about that movie was, for a long time. <laughs> side note, I, that was the first time I listened to the soundtrack was through the movie and I still think the soundtrack sounds really good because it's the original performers and they all sound good, but they're all, when you watch the movie, you're like, everyone in this movie's 30. Like, why are we? I don't, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I don't I don't believe anything that they're doing. Yeah, I love when she's like, I'm 19. I'm like, I don't believe you. <laughs> nah, yeah, you're yeah, you're not Rosario. Not sorry. <laughs> um anyway, back to Christmas <laughs> Cranks. Um but yeah, so it's it's not good at blending the the genres together. But like also these those aren't those aren't genres that really mesh well together, you know? <laughs> like, I wonder how much of it was like I wonder if the Discord came from a Chris Columbus screenplay match director like i wonder if it was 
you know, Joe Roth not knowing what to do with a Chris Columbus movie. Because I mm-hmm. think Chris Columbus is kind of baked into the screenplay. Like, a lot of it, like, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I get how this was written by Chris Columbus slash John Grisham. Mm-hmm. I don't know how close it is to the book adaptation-wise, but, like, I feel like a lot of that campiness was a Chris Columbus thing, and I think it was supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. And I think Joe Roth mm-hmm. was just like, I'm going to literally do what was on the page. Yes. <laughs> like, I think there was definitely a tonal dissonance there from one thing yes. to another. Yeah, I mean, you can see, like, the Chris Columbus staples coming through about, like, you know, way too many characters, first of all, um, and a, a kind of family orientation. Like, that's the... I think that's especially in those other four films that I mentioned. Uh, and I mean, that is kind of at the forefront of this movie about, you know, spending the holidays with your family and, you know, uh, and being there for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of something that he has worked with many times to, to success. Um, but yeah, it's just so self-serious and it's like, I can't like, I just can't like, and, and really more so the first half of the movie, the second half of the movie has something that's like, <laughs> I don't like. I don't know why it's there, and it's the burglary subplot. Oh why? I, I, I just don't know because that whole section like actually works pretty well. Like the fact that they're rushing to to get everything ready for Blair to come yeah. home, and <clears throat> and you know they got to set they got to set the house up. They gotta um, the neighbors are helping them like that. Like the fact that the neighbors are running around and trying to get everything together, Chris, like cross cut with Blair coming home from the airport is actually pretty good because it's like, you know, he gets the spirit of people helping each other and, you know, um, giving back and when, when needed and um, the, the community spirit, it's a very positive sequence and I, I do enjoy it. Um, and then, but you know, before that frosty has, fucking demon eyes and falls on Tim Allen. And I, I wanted, I wanted us to talk about that for a second. Just the fact that that whole sequence, when, you know, they're trying to be like, all right, we're going to get together and do this. And everyone's like, why should we do this? You know, fuck that guy. And I, I Dan that's the whole thing. Like Dan Aykroyd is supposed to give this like Braveheart style speech. And he's in the whole thing is just like, we're doing this for, for Blair. She's wonderful. Fuck you, Tim <laughs> Allen. You remember? Yeah. You got that. Your actions are asshole. Fuck you. And just like, they're just beating down on him. And they're just like, but we're doing this for Blair. We're doing a nice thing. Remember? <laughs> it's Oh yeah. I, <laughs> it's so funny because I, you know, eventually we're going to get to like theme and stuff like that. But it's so interesting. Cause I wonder if like Luther was <clears throat> named after like Martin Luther. Cause Martin Luther was the first person to like have a Christmas tree and all that stuff. And like kind of celebrate Christmas that way. But it also seemed like they were trying to go with a Scrooge angle. Like they make a reference to it. And it's like, obviously this is supposed to be a story about redemption and, doing Mm. the right thing even when you don't want to because i think the whole thing is like (laughs) you've got to buy into the capitalism (laughs) capitalism of christmas or the spirit will be real like you know looking at like you said earlier like going on a cruise because you're empty nesters now like that's a completely a lot of people go on cruises during christmas like it's cold you know it makes sense 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think like, it's this idea of um, like, it's like, Oh, but you're, you're abandoning your community by not buying Christmas cards and not like what killed me was when they freaked out about him not buying a Christmas tree. And I'm like, how many people have fake trees and just decide not yeah. to spend the money? Like, it, you know, some things like make sense. Like, you know how Jamie Lee Curtis was giving, I'm just calling her Jamie Lee Curtis at this point. <laughs> um, like mad that he wasn't donating to the church and stuff. And she was like, no, you're going to, you're going to let $600 get in the way of this. Like that, you know, mm-hmm. that makes sense. And clearly he was able to come up with the money. So there's just like dissonance in his character. Cause it's kind of like, at first you're like, Oh, he's upset because he can't be with his daughter on Christmas. And that's really hard. And then even when his daughter comes home for Christmas, he's miserable. And it's unclear if it's because she has a fiance now or, you know, he just didn't want to have the party. Like, I, I obviously like the whole resolution is like he does the nice thing for Bev and Walt. Um, Mm -hmm. But even that, like, he likes Bev. It's established that he and Bev get along. It's more the the doing a nice Mm -hmm. thing for Walt, I guess. Yeah, I guess I, I guess the idea is that he's doing a nice thing in general is kind of yeah. the idea. Because, like, yeah, I don't know. Because, th- okay, that's the whole thing. Luther is an asshole. Yeah. Like, he like he does things because, okay, he has the initial idea. Initial idea, that's a good one. You're saving money. You're going on a trip. It's just the two of you. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, more power to you for wanting to do that. That's dope. But then the whole town starts to get against them. And you're like, well, the town is kind of crazy because it's like, why do you care what someone does for Christmas? Like, you know, it's just it's just because you can't go to a New Year's Eve for a a Christmas Eve party. Is that like I don't I don't get why I I understand it's a big part of the community. But like, has no one ever gone away for Christmas before? Like ever. Um, But then he starts to do shitty things after that. And. But and then Jamie Lee Curtis first was like, "Well, this was a dumb. I- this is a dumb idea. Why are we doing this?" And then he's like, "Okay, I'll match the contributions to the church." It's like, "Okay, let's do it. This is awesome." But then she's like, "You got to put up Frosty. You got to buy the tree. You got to do all of this." And she's mad at Tim Allen for not doing it. And then she's like, "You know what? Fuck these people. Let's do this cruise. Like, absolutely." And then Blair calls and she's like, "That was a stupid <laughs> idea." And it's like, "What is your angle, lady?" <laughs> I. It's so because she plays because she's Jamie Lee Curtis, so she plays it well. Like it's a weird performance, it's a weird character, but I don't like. There are some moments where I genuinely related to her, like when they were doing the like crawling thing around the house because of the carolers, and she's like, "This is fun." I was like, "Oh, Jamie, I love you." Like there are so many things. I'm like, yeah, I relate to that. Like when she's like freaking out over her daughter getting engaged, I'm like, my mom would do that. Like. There are some things about her performance that are like her little nervous tick of like twirling her hair when she's nervous. Like, I, I feel like the thing that always just kind of like doesn't make sense is why Luther is upset. Because you're told mm-hmm. one thing at the beginning of the movie and then you're told another. Like, it just doesn't line up. Whereas, like, I think Nora's just there to be like, the the straight guy in the room even though like clearly like jamie lee curtis gives her a lot of character and you know but she's supposed to be like the sounding board to Mm -hmm. tim allen's like existential crisis (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. The fact that like just the whole conflict at the end doesn't like it. It makes sense because it fits in with just the holiday in general. But the overall movie doesn't make sense because it's like, yeah. All right. So he's sad that he is going away or that his daughter's not going to be home for Christmas. He's obviously going to miss her. Um, But then he gets the idea that he's going to save money. Mm -hmm. Okay, but now he can't go on the cruise, but he still saved money because everyone contributed to the party and his daughter's home with him. So he's just mad about the cruise, but so then his motivation changed. Yeah. And then he needed to redeem himself at like it's not an effective arc really at yeah. all. Cuz I it would set up um, at the beginning of the movie if I were to rewrite the screenplay today. Like <laughs> if you were to make it Do you like, have an hour? <laughs> just like never does nice things and he's super stingy and all this stuff. And it's not really about the because oh, it's so hard because the daughter's like the inciting incident, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like it, it follows all of the all of the you know hero's journey story arcs, but like not effectively. Like it hits all the beats, but there there's no planting and payoff. It's just like new conflict, new conflict, new conflict, and he's always the sour guy in the room, even if the original conflict was solved because his daughter's coming home for Christmas, you got what you wanted, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, it's like they only created new conflicts to fit the actual beat of the arc itself. Yeah. Like they, because the, the changing conflicts are so drastic. And that, that's the other thing is like when, when Blair calls, I didn't realize how early in the movie she yeah. calls that says she's coming home. It's literally like there's 45 minutes left in the movie. Movie's half over. Like, I and that's the third like, act the, of the film. Like, we down yes. like that because the midpoint. I don't. It doesn't really have a midpoint. I guess that's the midpoint. Oh, but that's like what breaks you into the third. Act. It's so like the it just doesn't yeah. make sense with this one. And I mean, every movie no, is yeah. different, and you know, you can have a super long mm-hmm. opening beat and whatever, and you can have a really quick climax, whatever. But like. Maybe him getting Botox at the <laughs> point. Like, I think that's the that's the real changing point. Like, after that, nothing's right. the same. Except that, you know, that comedy doesn't come back at all. Yeah. <laughs> why did they do that? Like, I don't understand why, again, old people humor. Like, I don't, I don't get it. And they draw on, like, Jack Nicholson eyebrows on him. <laughs> And he's like trying to eat the because they're eating at the hospital cafeteria because his wife's still being a good person and like going and reading to children. Like Nora is the best person in the city of Chicago, according to this movie. <laughs> Everyone yes. else is selfish. Uh, Blair is also apparently a really good person. We don't see much of her, but we we know from uh, secondhand accounts that she's a really good person too. Yeah. <laughs> and I always mm. loved Blair as a kid because she reminded me so much of this like family friend of ours who like went to, mm-hmm. and she was like a teacher in Puerto Rico and Costa Rica when she was like Blair's age. So like watching that, I was, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's just like Jessica. <laughs> I always just <laughs> automatically liked Blair. Like I didn't question whether or not she had any character depth. <laughs> everyone, but that's the thing. Everyone knows they set it up to be like everyone in this movie Every side character, every like piece of the ensemble knows who Blair yeah. is. So we, the audience, automatically are like, okay, everyone loves Blair. So when they're doing it for her, 
it's a nice gesture. Like you'd be like, yes, let's do it. You know, she deserves it. All yeah. right. Yeah. Even though she makes some ludicrous <laughs> decisions. I'm like, engaged and okay. I'm coming home after four weeks of the Peace Corps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been in the Peace Corps for not even a month. I met this guy at Brown, apparently. <laughs> uh, and uh, I we started talking more here and he asked me to marry him and she goes, and I really want to. I was like, <laughs> I was like, Oh, do you now? <laughs> Is and, that and so? Says maybe I, one line of dialogue throughout the whole thing. I can't decide yeah. if he's her boyfriend or her fiance. Cause they refer to him as both. And mm-hmm. yeah, I the one thing I will say for that actor, the guy who played Enrique, the scene where the burglar is caught and pressed against the window, his facial reactions. <laughs> He's like clearly not scared, but trying to be scared. Like <laughs> I, I, the director being like, give me more, give me more. Yeah. <laughs> I love when the cops like put the signs up and it says Enrique. <laughs> like <laughs> again, kind of another right side yeah, of joke, like, just oh, making fun of someone with a foreign here, name. And it's like you've never heard of anyone named Enrique in your life, really. <laughs> Communist. <laughs> All the staples yeah. of like right wing media. You know, it's got the like sassy black woman character. It's got the um, the stoner kid who lives in the town. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, the stoner kid. This kid who, like, doesn't really do anything. I guess they set up the fact that he's going to fuck up the electricity because his parents are putting up yeah. lights. And then the dad gets shocked, who definitely should be dead. Oh. Like, that, that guy... <laughs> avoided death twice in this movie. I think he's God. He might be. We all thought it was Marty. (laughs) 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 Yeah, but that stoner kid was like, yeah, like he, he plugs in the, the power and, and gets shocked all the way back. And the whole thing, I never, (laughs) the one thing I always thought was funny or like was weird when I was a kid was when out of nowhere, you know, when they're just starting to, get the party together dan Aykroyd's like does anyone have a turkey and that family just immediately is like we have two both <laughs> in the oven i was like why do you have two have turkeys cooking at the same time and there's three of you and now i realize he's a stoner i'm like oh it makes a whole lot more sense now because <laughs> so i always joke when my brother and i would watch this movie together i'd be like you know this movie is automatically superior to other christmas movies because it has not one but two actors from the tv show chuck so there. It's better than all the other Christmas movies. And she's one of them. And then um, the guy who lends them their Christmas tree plays Big Mike and Chuck. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> How about that? Um, uh, what was the... Yeah, so... Oh, and then... Uh, so let's talk about this burglar <laughs> subplot. Because I don't understand... Like, again, so that section... So that scene where they go and they're like, okay, we got to stall. Let's make it look like we're doing a domestic disturbance checkout or something like that. And they see a bird. Like, that is also supposed to be somewhat suspenseful and be like, oh, no, there's actual danger. Like, what's going to happen? And and that guy comes out of this apartment and the cops are basically on the other side of the street. And 
they're like freeze and he in a like moment of quick decision goes eat this and just throws whatever he has on the ground which was like 10 feet away from them it's like dude you just fucked yourself like that's your like you just, yeah I, I always picture like them driving because first of all why wouldn't they just bring him to the police station before they they arrived at the house like it would to be like oh let's right. get this criminal behind bars but i'm just because you know that's a good way to stall and get more time just picture on the way back like blair and enrique in the back seat like cowering away from this guy who's also in the police car <laughs> yeah and then and spike who is you know kind of one of the more precocious characters of the movie and helps luther steal the tree and all of this like gets baited by this guy and it's like I haven't eaten in seven days man you know most most of the stuff I give to my and seven Billy kids Tommy and, and Chuck <laughs> <laughs> Billy Tommy and Chuck and and Spike's like yeah it checks out <laughs> I love how Spike also can number one get into the police car Number two, unlock the the handcuffs, which means he must have had handcuff keys, or the handcuff keys were just sitting in the the police car. Yeah, that and then so yeah, that's the other thing. If he also has a CB radio that he has used before to interfere with police communication, something I am fairly sure yeah. is a crime. Like <laughs> they're just okay with it because like Vic Fromeyer runs the city of Chicago. <laughs> Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. You know, he has the city in the palm, or he has the police in the palm of his hand. Uh, and but Spike, for some reason, has never seen like a a, a, a burglar before, a criminal before. Strangers. <laughs> yes, I don't. I don't get it. Yeah, and yeah, why wouldn't they take him to the? To, the whole reason for the subplot, the only reason that I could possibly think of is just to have Marty beat the shit out of him with an umbrella as a callback to the first yeah, scene. That's the, I, I honestly think that was the only reason that was in there. And just so like, he's, he's crawling across the roof. Right. And Tim Allen's like, stop that. Get down. <laughs> <laughs> My car. <Stop> that. <laughs> he's, he's so unperturbed by this situation. Oh no, not my car. Get down there. He's like not even uh, you know upset by the fact that he's just been robbed. <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite parts of the video that John Tron did. He like he falls on the car and Tim Allen's like my car and then he falls on the ground and John goes my ground. <laughs> oh my God. Um and then yeah, so Marty brought his Santa suit of with course. him, I guess. Um <laughs> and just goes ape shit on this guy. <laughs> and then they take him away. And then he's like, I told you you could have used it. <laughs> That's a really good impression of that character. Like, oh, close to him and he's like, Santa always works on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and it's like, so, so wait a minute. Are you telling me that you're Santa Claus? Because the Santa suit and the flying car didn't give it away. Yeah. Also, uh, if you're Santa, you uh, you shouldn't have. T- this is a long break for you. It's 10 p.m. and you're probably drunk. So please, please get, get going. going. <laughs> and he sings. He sings a Spanish song with yeah. Enrique at the party in Peru. 
Yeah. For five years. <laughs> so Santa actually doesn't live at the North Pole. He goes from place to place to learn all the languages, to learn everybody's name. I, I, and I guess. And he just creepily walks up to people. <laughs> and he just creepily walks up to people in the supermarket as as if they as if they know who he is. Doesn't introduce himself. He's just like, "Hi, Nora." <laughs> it's like Jesus Christ. <laughs> so so strange. And yeah, so he ends up giving, and Luther ends up giving the tickets to, uh, uh, to Walt and Bev. Uh, now is the whole town going to turn on them? They're going to wake up the next morning and realize yeah, that they're gone. They're going to be like, you guys weren't at the Christmas party. You went on a cruise. Who do you think you are? Where? They're going to burn down that fucking house. I'll I tell you what. That <laughs> subplot, which like didn't need to be there. And they made it like a big part of the marketing. Like it's on the, the DVD case and it was in the commercial. Like the commercial, mm-hmm. like the last shot of it is like the frozen cat going like, <laughs> Yeah, with the creepy, like, CGI blinking <laughs> eyes. Ugh. So, so strange. Yeah, that's, like, why... Like, I don't get it. Like, he just keeps stepping also, on the, the cat. the cat would be dead. <laughs> like, if the cat was truly frozen, yeah. the cat would not be alive. So maybe the cat is Santa yeah. Claus. <laughs> everyone in this town is immortal, and everyone in this town is Santa Claus, except for Tim Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically enough, uh, so I, <laughs> I think we should let's finish this off in analysis because we get let's bring all it right. home, right? Do <laughs> it, analyze this. I, I don't know if there's a whole lot to. I, Okay, let me let me rephrase that. There is a lot to analyze <laughs> about this movie. But I think it's just trying to be to am, the, to highlight the importance of Christmas and again should be like because everyone in this movie thinks that like Christmas is the best yeah. time of year and it is sacred and it is like like this movie is about a war on Christmas. Like that's what that's what it's about essentially. And like it's so it's like can't you just see like Megan Kelly just yelling about it? Like it's so like it's so strange. But like that's that's the whole idea but then it just makes you think about yeah, it makes you feel eerie about your neighbors and like the decisions that you make. I- like, am I alone? No, in that? De- like, like I said, it justified my fear of suburbia for many years. I'm still afraid of the suburbs. Let's be real. Um, especially ones where mm-hmm. people decorate with frosties, which isn't a thing. Like, that's the thing. Like, that is a made up thing in this universe that people decorate with yeah. giant frosties. Or just having like everyone in the same neighborhood having one communal yeah. decoration that they all put up. Like, I don't understand how. And Tim Allen's like carrying it up, like it ties a noose around its neck. Oh my god, that that kills me right there. It's so, so wild. Um, But yeah, it's just so, it's too communal. Like it's so weird. The the lady from from the the carolers, she was like, so so they don't have lights up. Are are they Jewish? Are they Buddhist? Like it's like you live in Chicago. 
Chicago's a very diverse yeah. city. Like, there are plenty of people who don't celebrate Christmas. I love uh, Walt's reaction to that because she's like, are they Jewish? And he's like, no. And she's like, Buddhist or anything? And he goes, no, none of that. Like, what do you mean none of that? <laughs> like, yeah, no, this is... I, none of that malarkey. <laughs> Not on my street. Is that... And probably the reason that I, I think I said it was underrated is because it gives you just the right amount of Christmas in a Christmas movie. Um, and it's so absurd that you you do leave feeling entertained in a way that like mm-hmm. a Hallmark movie, you know, they hit the same beats, but the acting is worse and it's not as funny and you can't talk about it for an hour on a podcast. There's not that much to dissect. <laughs> it's kind of like the the tj maxx of christmas movies (laughs) wow be entertained when you walk into tj maxx and everyone will be wearing cashmere sweaters (laughs) and and nothing goes together (laughs) and and the tone of one section of the store doesn't really match the tone of the other section but it's all tj maxx (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it's all under one big blanket you just of have thrift. To inject it right into your veins and just be like, mm. <laughs> that was what I. <laughs> I just, I just got to take it, you know. <laughs> um, no, that's that is very true. And like I said, I think that the second half of the movie is a lot better than the first yeah. half of the movie. I mean, even though the second half has the whole burglary <laughs> subplot and all of that, but like just the fact that they're running around and like needing to. They're desperate, so they're trying to get everything that they need for the holidays. It's very, you know, reminiscent of the holidays themselves. Everyone knows that feeling um, of, you know, oh, I forgot to get this, so I got to run to the store, and it's like, you know, is really indicative of what Christmas is these days. I think you mean (laughs) genius. I think is what you're trying to say. (laughs) But no, you're right. Like it is. It is honestly like it's a battle between everyone and every 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 man or woman for themselves and when she finds that's the other thing i meant to mention she finds the one couple in line who has the hickory honey ham and is like trying to desperately buy it from them and she turns to the woman is like could i possibly have you ever thought about like saving away for your child's college education how much money do you think she spent it's on gotta that be ham? upwards i'd say honestly like i think she spent a thousand dollars on that <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, as soon as you say the word college, the, the price, price tag, tag jumps up. Le- like, it's got to be at least a thousand or it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. it, it I mean, th- it's the last hickory honey ham. Really? I mean, they're- it's the, and, and he ended up having <laughs> another hickory honey ham because they were eating it because Marty brought it. But then there was another one that he gave mm-hmm. to Bev. And Bev doesn't even eat meat. <laughs> Wait, yeah, that's okay. So... Where are all these honey? Where are they, all these hairs coming from? They're all from Marty. <laughs> honestly, like the thing, honestly, watching it, because I watched it this morning in preparation for this. Um, but I think like the biggest takeaway that I have, especially this year, is like we're seeing things like Jingle Jangle and Happiest Season and like telling the classic Christmas stories about the people who have always been in the background. And I think like Mm -hmm. looking back at this, it's like, yeah, this is a fun nostalgia movie, but I'm so glad that we're moving in a new direction 
and that we're telling we're telling new Christmas stories for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Happiest Season is is a great example of just, um, and obviously it's a it's a recent film, but the with, with this movie, I think the other thing that they tried to do with Christmas with the Cranks is they tried to they put the yeah. twist on it. Like so, yes, it's a Christmas movie, but it's about people trying to avoid the Christmas the Christmas mm-hmm. season, um, and so so that in and of itself, just that idea does separate it from other, um, from other holiday movies, where it's just all just about getting ready for the holidays and something you know oh, unexpected uh, happens or you know yeah. blah 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 blah, you know, copy paste one hundred forty right. times, um, but but yeah, so now we have movies like like happiest season, which are trying to um, appeal um, to a you know broader demographic and tell a little bit more of an honest um, story around the mm-hmm. holidays. Um, so yeah, it is good that, and I mean, Christmas movies, th- that's the other thing, just like, I don't think this movie necessarily changed anything for Christmas movies, but it was, it, it's very clear that just Christmas movies in general were never yeah. going to stop and they're, we're always going to get them. Um, but it is possible to make a um, a newer one and uh, or a, a modern one and still make yeah. it memorable. And I mean, my biggest takeaway from from the movie itself is, uh, I guess, is supposed to be embedded in Luther's arc. But like you know, just the spirit, like the spirit of the season, is about giving back and being there for others and <clears throat> making sure, um, you know, that you do the right thing. Um, and even if it's like, like you said, you know, doing the right thing, even though if it's not something that you necessarily want to do, um, it is important, uh, to give back, you know, even if the old man you know, calls you old all the time and slaps your car, you know, and you're stepping on his cat, you got to give him the cruise. You know, that's obviously, that's what yeah. you're supposed to do. Um, and, and, and it's a very positive message. It's just a rocky road to get, to get there, <laughs> you know? And he's the only one with like a legitimate, I, I guess, yeah, arc. Because I mean, he does change. Whether you know it's a way to get there, but like he does change. But like Jamie Lee Curtis is kind of the same, you know, throughout the movie. Um, I, I don't, I didn't personally notice any other arcs besides his, unless I missed something. Yeah, because even Walt basically was like, "I'm not going to stop calling you old man." It's like, oh, so you're not going to change? Cool. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could argue Dan Aykroyd went from being an antagonist to being like the person who helped them out. Um, but I think that was always within Dan Aykroyd because, it, you know, he loves Christmas. Of course, he's going to help them have a Christmas party because he loves Christmas and he loves the community. So, like, it's not out of character, whereas Luther doing something nice, unfortunately, is quite out of character. Yeah. Well, yeah, because Dan Aykroyd, like, is the leader throughout the movie. So he like leads the neighborhood, even if it's against the cranks, but then by the end of it, you know, it's for the cranks, but it's still for the good of the neighborhood. And for obviously for Blair, um, who is, you know, that, okay. So that's my other question. Does she ever find out about that? Any of this happened? Do they ever break the news to her? (laughs) Because my only thought is what if, so because you know she says to Luther over and over and over again, "Don't, don't tell her about the cruise. She can't know about it. You know this was everything was going according to plan. This was except the only the only surprise was that you yeah. were coming home. But does she tell everybody that? 
I feel like someone's got to spill. Someone has to, especially because Blair will be like, oh, like Walt and Bev are going on a cruise. What's what's that about? You know, like because like clearly we know that they can't really afford that. We know Bev's sick, so they got it from someone. And then, yeah, uh, Christmas with the Cranks 2, question mark, like Blair finds out. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe Bev was like the only one who didn't know what she was supposed to say it, and then on her deathbed she tells Blair, and then that starts the whole conflict of the group. <laughs> Take my cat. <laughs> I got a present for you and Enrique. Um, <laughs> I think oh, you should man. write Christmas with the Cranks. <laughs> yes, there's so much potential. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing they didn't do with this movie is make it like a super um like serious personal family drama i think that's what they would try and do oh, for the second one would, because it would be all about like guess who's coming to dinner but with tim allen being the parent that's like i don't like enrique blah 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 <laughs> yeah they would try and do it like the first movie, but then mix it with something like really heavy, like like prisoners or something, and it would be like it would be just not work at all. Missing person's case. There's so much Christmas with the Cranks fan fiction potential here. Like, I'm oh on God. Tumblr somewhere. There's not like, and this is what happened after Christmas with the Cranks. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I feel like one person would write that. I feel I like that would be like. Would be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> way too much time and effort into it. <laughs> we can search back the Tumblr, uh, Tumblr IP of uh, Enrique Fan Twenty One. Back to you, Julia. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it goes directly to your laptop. Oh <laughs> So, okay, let's finish this up and uh, let's just ask, you know, answer the question, how does this movie, because, you know, you've said many times you watch this movie every year and it's been a few years since I last watched it, but how does it add um, to your holiday season and how does it capture the spirit of Christmas um, you know, on film? I, I, at this point, honestly, for me, I think it's mainly like my Christmas would feel incomplete without me watching this movie just because I've, it's mm-hmm. been just a part of the tradition for so many years. And it, it's kind of a go-to Christmas movie when I'm like, Oh, I want to watch something Christmassy with my friends. So I think at this point, it's not even about like, yes, the movie puts me in the Christmas spirit, but I think it's because like, you know, I, I have been conditioned to watch this movie and be like, mm, it's Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> I think this movie has brainwashed me into being like, yep. <laughs> now I'm officially in the Christmas spirit because I watched Christmas with the Cranks. <laughs> well, <laughs> I love the positivity. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I think that it's imp- <laughs> I I definitely went into this movie like ready to rewatch it um thinking that I was going to have some newfound like either like hate or complete disdain for it and i definitely don't like it's not an offensively bad movie in any right like it's not um it's not mean-spirited it's uh i mean it kind of is but it's it, you can joke but about overall, it overall like yeah mm. i it's it, it's it has some 
it's just stupid. Like, that's the thing is like, there are just a lot of really dumb decisions made to where it makes it entertaining. Like, I wouldn't say I was necessarily bored while watching it. Uh, I mean, I may have like skipped a couple things just because I've seen it so many times. So I, I know, I know what happens in the movie, you know? Um, but it's not. And just the structure of it being so weird it does have somewhat of an entertaining quality. You're like, wait, now the, this whole story switched? Like, what's yeah, going on? What is happening? <laughs> like, this is, yeah. Uh, yeah, he got Botox? Is this going to come back? Probably not. Um, but, <laughs> but it, you know, like you said, the whole hustle and bustle of the third act, um, if you want to call it the third <laughs> act, um, it makes it, you know, is very much in the spirit of Christmas and rushing and running around. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, spruce it up a little bit to um, of your holiday viewing season to get something that you wouldn't normally watch or that you can. Because the ratio to good of good to bad Christmas movies is n- way out there. Like it is like there are very few, like I think actually like really good, well-made, like entertaining, great Christmas movies. And then there's the whole treasure trove of so bad that they're good and just awkward or just like, like whatever it may be. Um, but somehow it all gets the same feeling. Yeah. Like no matter how they do it, you kind of end up in the same place at the end. Like with any of those movies, like whether it's Home Alone, Christmas Vacation, Christmas with the Cranks, Elf, It's a Wonderful Life, or whatever it may be, you always end up in the same place. You always end up feeling the holiday cheer. You always, um, you know, get excited and feel like it's you're ready for the Christmas season. And there aren't really many other genres that yeah. can do that. Yeah, there really aren't. Like even thinking like, bringing up Halloween movies like the way I feel after watching Beetlejuice is not the same way I feel after watching the Haunted Mansion like those are two completely (laughs) different experiences I think they both have their virtues but you know with with Christmas movies I feel like artistic merit matters less which is unfortunate but you know I'm never one of those people to be like, oh, because it's popular, that means it's bad. I think there are popular films that are fantastic and there are many unpopular films that are terrible. Like, (laughs) there's a... (laughs) Um, But with Christmas, you're right. Like, it's really a feeling. And I don't know if that's the music. I don't know if that's the cliches. Like, there's a reason that cliches are a thing. It's because they work, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the the holiday movie genre, their Christmas movie genre in and of itself is like it thrives off of those cliches. You know, there are so many cliches in this movie um, and yet you still end up at the end being like, oh, yeah, like I I do kind of feel warm inside, like a good like I'm ready for Christmas. Uh, And and all of the like, yeah, so there's no like there's no like serious like there's no Christmas movie where by the end of it you feel sad I think like I don't I, I don't really I can't think of any personally um, you know most of them end up in a positive light or you know may take a journey through some emotions but overall at the end you're just like yeah Christmas won you know <laughs> like <laughs> the power of capitalism 
<laughs> um, do you have any other final thoughts um, before we go? Free frosty, free frosty, free frosty. Free frosty. Dan Aykroyd definitely has a body in his basement somewhere. Um, dress your kids in plaid around the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> All the staples. Um, thank you so much, Julia. Thank this you was so wonderful. Much for having me. This was so much fun. That does it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Huge thanks to Julia Black for coming on the show. It was wonderful to talk with her again. She is an actress and a playwright, and you can visit her website at www.juliablackofficial.com, and you can follow her on Instagram at juliablackofficial for more awesome and exciting updates on what she's doing in her professional life. She's extremely talented, so you definitely want to go check those out. Frankly, I Love Movies is part of the Orion Valley Production Podcast Network, where you can check out other podcasts such as Ravnik Avengers, our Real Play D&D podcast, and we have an Attack on Titan recap podcast that comes out every single Wednesday with new episodes called Tea Time with Titans. If you want more social media updates from us at Frankly I Love Movies, you can follow us on Facebook at Frankly I Love Movies, on Twitter at Frankly Podcast, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for more recent movie updates and reviews. And finally, come back on Christmas Day to end the Hollow Thanksmas series with my old friend from high school, Kayla Hurd, to talk about my very first viewing of one of the greatest movies ever made. It's a Wonderful Life. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Mm-hmm.